There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome to Fever Dreams. Uh, my name's Will Summer. I'm a political reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of an upcoming book on QAnon for HarperCollins. And I'm Aswin Subsang, but please call me Swin. I'm a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. All right, here on Fever Dreams, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious and sometimes scary world of the American right as they continue to influence our politics. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, these grifters, and these influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Fever Dreams listeners, you are probably right now listening to this right between Christmas Day and New Year's Eve 2021. For our special holiday interregnum edition of Fever Dreams, uh, we were kicking around some ideas of what to offer you, and we were thinking about, okay, should we put together a major investigative package and something new that we can sort of serve you guys up while you're trying to get over your Christmas ham? We thought to ourselves, no, you're not paid subscribers. You're getting this shit for free. So, Will, what have we decided to do in terms of this sort of collated yearbook edition 2021 of Fever Dreams? What a year it's been for Fever Dreams. You know, we kicked off the pod and and so many of you joined us. So we thought we would check up on some of our favorite characters and in some cases our favorite gadgets, as well as, you know, maybe introduce some new ones or or some people we thought were maybe overlooked in 2021 that we think will be recurring and popping up again in 2022. So it's it's sort of a a rogues gallery, uh, even more than, than the podcast normally is. Right. Like if you think we didn't touch on some of the characters that we've touched briefly on over the past year or so of recording, you're in luck. Let's go over our Fever Dreams notes. Let's compare notes, you and me, Will, and see if we can get any more clarity or sanity grafted onto this cast of supporting characters, shall we say. Uh, We've talked enough about leaders like Donald Trump and the Sidney Powells and the Mike Flynn's of the world. Let's go a little bit deeper on this. JFK Jr.'s. Exactly. We've talked enough about JFK Jr. and and his ghost. Yeah, we we can put that in the backseat for the moment. So, Will, I know it's after Christmas, but people can always get their jump on their Christmas shopping for 2022. For that, I mean, I know we're not wire cutter at the New York Times. Mm, Sore subject. Too soon. But you have a little bit of a gadget roundup. A little bit of a uh, post-Christmas right-wing gift roundup. Uh, welcome to the uh, tech corner. Yeah, so, <laughs> you, you know, the, the, on Fever Dreams, like, w- one of my my great obsessions is the grifts these days, they're, they're too ephemeral, right? You have, like, Melania Trump getting into NFTs, stuff like that. But I always like when someone tries to hawk uh, a physical object, particularly a, a technological one to the, to the MAGA crowds. So, you know, I, first I thought we'd drop back in on the Freedom Phone which people may yes. remember from over the summer. The Freedom Phone was the creation of a, I believe, the self-proclaimed youngest Bitcoin millionaire, Eric Finman, a gentleman who I was reading in the, just catching up on the Freedom Phone, and it, it described in his New York Times profile as having a chin strap. So this is, oh. this is the kind of thing we're working with here. So this guy, he recruited a bunch of conservative influencers to sell this thing called the Freedom Phone, which he claimed 
was this phone that was going to be free from the the evils of big tech and surveillance, and that it was just it, you know one of these influencers uh, claimed it was the best phone ever, essentially that it was it was you know miles ahead of the of anything like the iPhone or or an Android phone, but and it was at such a bargain price, just five hundred dollars. Uh, but you know. Over the summer, we found out that, in fact, it was the rebrand of a cheapo Chinese phone that went for, I, I believe, less than 100 bucks. Uh, it turns out these conservative influencers were getting a cut uh, of, of, of it so that they, you know, they were getting their no. fans to buy. I, I know, I know, I know. They were, they were duping their fans, essentially, into buying this, this really exagger- by exaggerating the powers of this phone. So that was where we left things with the Freedom Phone. Okay. Uh, so now that we're on the doorstep of exiting 2021 where does the freedom phone currently stand in the technological environs well maybe some of our listeners are listening to this on their freedom phones you know the freedom phone i I believe has been out for a little while but it turns out you know there was this whole issue where it turned out the freedom phone was being constructed in china and they were a little i think shifty about where it was being built they claimed it was hong kong in fact it was a manufacturing area in mainland china so but since then freedom phone has decided that uh, they were just too successful to even do that. So they teamed up with this company in Utah that makes phones, and they, they it's basically just rebranded now. The once much vaunted Freedom Phone technology is now just a name, Freedom Phone, that slapped on somebody else's phone. And I loved, you know, inventor, you know, would-be Elon Musk Jr., Eric Fidman's quote that he gave to the New York Times, explaining why he basically just turned Freedom Phone into even more of a branding play than it already was. And he said, when the going gets tough, bring in the 50-something-year-olds. They can be the ones with the sleepless nights. I love it. It's like, what What does that even mean? I think he's just like, I don't know, like, bring in the old guys to run the company. I, You know, I, I'm going to go jet off to uh, my various MAGA conferences. I got my bag. That did not scan for me at all, because I thought he was saying there are more retirees, although I guess that would be more 60 or 70-somethings, who he could scam into buying his product <laughs> because they're more griftable at that age when the mind is going a little bit more. That's what I thought he was saying. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that would make sense as well. I I, I think that's another way to, that it could be interpreted. Uh, so, yeah, so the Freedom Phone is not the, you know, it turns out to not be the technological innovation we were promised. But fortunately... One of one uh, device we talked about on Fever Dreams that promises to change the world still hasn't dropped yet. So, so hope springs eternal in this case. Listeners may remember the cuck box. Oh, oh, yes, that was the same episode that we interviewed writer director Josh Rubin on. The cuck box is maybe my favorite character. I know it's not a living, breathing thing. Well, at least it's not human. I mean, technically, the uh, possibilities for the cuck box are infinite, at least according to its branders. But it might be my favorite dumb character of 2021. Well, I mean, it's like in the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they have a computer who who comes alive and is a character. Right. The, the cockbox voiced by Paul Bettany, basically. Right, so right. for our <laughs> listeners who may not recall that episode or for whatever reason skip that one, give them a refresher on what this thing is. Because I, I, I cannot – I still have not, after all these months, gotten over how weird – this is just deeply, disturbingly, graphically weird. This fucking thing is. Well, I'll tell you what. Months later, months since we talked about it, I'm still trying to figure out what the cuck box is. And and for for listeners, this is spelled Q U X. It's not C U C K S, but but it is pronounced the same way. 
So the the Cuckbox was the creation of a former InfoWars reporter named Millie Weaver and her husband. And it's it plugs into your TV. It's really unclear what it is. Uh it you know it, there's currently a prototype for sale for 150 bucks. It says it's going to come out in February, but like everything they say about it, it you know, it, it sounds like it, it's like going to create a parallel internet and all this stuff. To me, it kind of seems like a like an off-brand Roku, as best I can tell. But you know, people really are still big in on the Cuckbox. I was checking some Telegram groups where Cuckbox discussions really go down. You know, these are people who are in at least 100 bucks on on their Cuckbox that they're waiting for. But this was just a, a recently, a few, a few days ago, people are saying, like, has anyone gotten their Cuckbox? <laughs> I wonder how Cucks is going. You, you know, it was initially, I believe, promised to come out uh, fall of 2021. Obviously, that doesn't happen. It didn't happen. But people are still really thinking about this thing, like, and they think it's just going to change the world. Someone said, Cucks will eventually copy slash mirror the internet we have now. Now, huh? I don't think it'll do that, but also, what would that mean? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, the, the cup box is still out there. The The prototypes are supposed to be coming uh, late in the winter. You know, if, if you, you want to get a, a late Christmas present, I think that's still a possibility. When we last covered this thing, which, by the way, we both basically agreed the last time we talked about this, the people behind it are the true geniuses because they're making all this money. Six figures, if not more. Is that correct? It raised over six figures on a crowdfunding site. So yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. For a box that claims it will liberate you from the big tech, deep state, internet, whatever, if you just plug into it, but they never explain what it does, and yet they hold all this money. That is a genius scam that the people behind Enron never would have thought of. Never, Just never fucking would have thought of. These people are geniuses for doing this. I don't know. Why do you and I have scruples and morals and, and adherence to not committing fraud? The cuck box is genius because, you know, people are going to be too embarrassed to complain about it. You know, you say to your relatives, oh, I got I got hosed on this thing. You know, oh, what's it called? Oh, it's called the cucks. Oh, you, you, you know, you, you can't say that to people, you know. So the other thing I would add about this is, you know, I always wonder how much this push into uh, like the, the riot and particularly kind of these conservative personalities like Millie Weaver, how much they're pushed into just like whining constantly about being deplatformed, how much that resonates with the broader audience, because you know, a lot of these people aren't getting pushed off of Facebook or Twitter. Um, a lot of people don't use Facebook or Twitter. You know, they certainly don't use Twitter. So, wh- like, how much does this really sell as an issue to, to the average conservative? And so I, I kind of doubt it on one hand, because, like, when I see people talk about it, it's so boring. But on the other hand, you have people who are just paying enormous amounts of money for a chance to, I guess, live on a Internet free of, of Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg, theoretically. Did they steal the plot? Of the cuckbox from the uh, some of the final seasons of HBO Silicon Valley. I'm not sure. A bunny internet. Uh, they were trying to create a new decentralized internet that was more democratized and not dominated by the big tech giants. Did they steal the plot line from Silicon Valley for this thing? <laughs> I see what you're going for, but I think the issue is that the cuckbox is really like just so vague about what it actually is that I don't think there is an idea here to be stole that could have been stolen. I think it's just like the idea is create something and make money from it, which, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a classic idea to have. But yeah, I mean, look, 2022, check back fever dreams. Uh, maybe we'll get ourselves a cuck box prototype. I'll be coming to you from uh, from the deep inside the metaverse. Can we expense it? Are we allowed to do that at 
Fever Dreams or or The Daily Beast. I mean, I, I feel like for us to keep talking about on this pod, we have to get our hands on this thing. I mean, th- this is going to be a new media platform. You know, we're going to have to start bringing the, the Daily Beast cuckbox branch. We spend an inordinate amount of time making fun of this thing. Imagine it being like the only thing we use in 2022. Well, I think this is kind of how people feel about the metaverse or Web3, where it's like, God, I really don't want to participate in this, but it seems like I won't have a choice. But I think I, like, yeah. if you go in these Telegram groups, that's people feel that way about the cuckbox. I mean, the sense of inevitability that, that you know, soon we're going to get a new internet uh, as of February. On the Cuckbox website, it's like completely unclear what it is still, but there's an asterisk. And it's and so it, it looks like there's like going to be a caveat or something. And then you go to the bottom and it says may include amazing experiences. So what is that amazing experience? Who knows? But, you know, maybe we'll find out or maybe in the year end 2022 thing uh, episode, we'll be discussing this as well. Moving on to item number two of our 2021 Fever Dreams yearbook um, is kind of a twofer. We're going to talk about Mike Lindell, but it's not just Mike Lindell. It is the pairing of Mike Lindell and 30 Rock alumnus Jane Krakowski. You've heard of Pillow Talk? This is my Pillow Talk. (laughs) Well, this happened, I think, very close to a year ago. Do you remember any of it? Or is this something that's just infecting my head that for some reason I have not been able to resolve it psychically at this point? I don't think, unfortunately, that I'll ever be able to forget this story. But please set us up. So roughly a year ago, um, I, I, I believe if I'm getting the timeline right in the aftermath of the January 6th riot, or at least after Donald Trump's anti-Democrat crusade had already got underway, the Daily Mail, this uh, uh, sort of historic, storied uh, British tabloid, pops a story with a blaring exclusive branding on it that uh, Mike Lindell and actress Jane Krakowski, uh, Jane Krakowski has obviously uh, been a star in shows like uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, 30 Rock. She's done a lot of cool stuff on Broadway. She's been in a lot of things. You you probably maybe have seen her face in a bunch of uh, movies and TV. They break the story or alleged story that Michael Lindell and Jane Krakowski have been locked in a torrid and secret romance. It's one of the more bizarre things I've read, even as all that nutty stuff was going on circa December and January. And this was a story that both Lindell and Grakowski denied on the record to the Daily Mail. Uh, The Daily Mail was insisting that friends had been sort of disturbed for um, months, if not longer than that, because they were getting worried about why Jane Krakowski was so seemingly in love with this, like, pro-Trump pillow mogul that they were all disgusted by. Uh, They claimed that he brought her uh, gifts backstage, including uh, champagne or or roses or stuff like that. It's a very unlikely romance. Right, and the Daily Mail was so sure about it. They were so sure about it, even with the the on-the-record denials from both the actress and the uh, MAGA pillow maven. Uh, They went ahead with it. And it just in terms of uh, media gossip, because we try to share as much media gossip as we can with our listeners here on this show, the rumors immediately abounded that the Daily Mail was pranked. By who? I have no idea. Uh, but, but this was something that I don't think I saw other perhaps more reputable outlets standing up. It was something that just hovered there for a while. And there was a bit of an online freakout when the story first posted of people being like, oh, my God, is Jane Krakowski just 
in bed literally with Mike fucking Lindell. <laughs> as far as a prank, that is like truly like the, the, the whoever pranked the Daily Mail should be arrested. And not because of that <laughs> prank, not because they did that prank, but because they have a sick criminal mind. Because only like like the Joker you would have to be to think of tricking someone that into thinking that Mike Lindell dated Jane Krakowski. Such a such a, a, a twisted idea. Uh, but yeah, so so as you say, the uh, all parties involved denied it very strenuously. Right. And also, like, people kept making the joke that, okay, if this is a prank, is it a commentary on Jane Krakowski's character, Jenna Maroney on 30 Rock? Because her, during Trump and the Republicans' efforts to do a coup in America, literally jumping into bed with Mike Lindell is something that Jenna Maroney definitely would have done. <laughs> But, um, but okay, so somebody who did not find this as funny as others on the internet did was none other than Mike Lindell himself. Uh, he hired Charles Harder, who is a celebrity attorney who is famed for, among other things, killing Gawker. He was for years one of Donald Trump's top attorneys, and only until very recently did he stop representing the former president in cases. And uh, Mike Lindell told us at the time about a year ago that he had hired Charles Harder to sick him on the Daily Mail, that he was going to sue. And lo and behold, uh, he did sue the Daily Mail. He sued the Daily Mail for among, the, for, among other things, having the temerity to say that he could land someone as gorgeous and professionally accomplished as Jane Krakowski. <laughs> Right. I mean, so so his, his argument was that that you know Mike Mike Lindell's in recovery, he's a recovering addict, and the idea that he would have have bought her champagne, you know, w was defamatory. Right. And this was something that we at the Daily Beast had reported on and had some fun with about a year ago. And then, okay, he actually did sue. The court papers are filed, and I mean, we had a lot of stuff to do. So following this case, kind of fell by uh, the wayside. Now, I had not noticed this until. Basically just now, but in a Hollywood Reporter story dated December 10th of this year, apparently there was some degree of resolution. Well, would it surprise you to learn that Mike Lindell, friend of the show, did not have that much luck in a court of law? Well, I'm grateful to learn that while Mike Lindell did not have a relationship with Jane Krakowski, you can believe it to your heart's content without it being illegal. Because, yeah, so it, it seems like Mike Lindell suffered a setback uh, on, on his his case for, for justice here. Right. So U.S. District Court Judge Paul Crotty, that's a hell of a name, Paul Crotty, writes, and I quote, Even assuming the romance never happened, the above description would not defame Lindell. Dating an actress, secret or not, would not cause public hatred, shame, ridicule, or any similar feelings towards Lindell. Both Lindell and Krakowski are unmarried adults, and Lindell's alleged actions typify those of a person in a consenting relationship, end quote. Also, and I want to be clear, I mean, would I put a lot of money on the Daily Mail being vindicated by reality and this actually happening? I don't think so, but this is one of those weird things where I'm not sure if we're ever going to know if they ever were in a relationship. I mean, certainly, I don't think this story is going to resolve itself completely by the end of this year. If it was a prank, I don't think the prankster is going to come out and reveal him or herself just yet. But for the record, Judge Paul Grady also writes that, quote, the purchase of alcohol is a legal and ordinary act, end quote. So he also writes that Mike Lindell's main argument here is that the Daily Mail, by saying that he brought Jane Krakowski a gift of alcohol, that was defaming him because he is a recovering addict. The judge wasn't buying that. So this on top of Mike Lindell failing to get his pro-Trump 
case of alleged massive election fraud that just did not happen before the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm not sure Mike Lindell is having that much luck with American courts these days. This is far from the only legal issue Mike Lindell's facing, obviously. You know, he's being sued by Dominion Voting Systems over over various election fraud claims. So I suspect that Mike Lindell may someday look back on the, the halcyon days of, you know, failed lawsuits over Jane Krakowski dating. And, you know, think, uh, you know, how easy it once was, because I think, uh, you know, far bigger legal issues loom for him in 2022. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so moving on from Krakowski and Lindell, there's another guy who we've been following pretty closely on this podcast for the past year. His name is Jovan Pulitzer. That is a name that Fever Dreams listeners have probably become more intimately familiar with than they would like or prefer. But, Will Summer, you have a little bit more year-end reporting on this guy, in which you ask the question, is he an anthrax attack victim? Please explain what those words mean. Yeah, well, I mean, I literally asked the question because I because of today's episode, I had to email Javon and say, hey, do you have anthrax? So here's the deal. So Javon is the, you know, he's been described as a failed treasure hunter. He created a device that called the QCAT, which was widely ridiculed during the dot-com boom. It was, it was essentially a barcode scanner. I mean, I think he would take issue with that, but it, it was a barcode scanner, essentially, that was shaped like a cat. And so it was kind of like known as one of the great, it was been described as one of the great failed gadgets of the, the late 90s, early aughts.com boom. But Jovan reinvented himself at the start of the 2020 election fraud fever uh, post November 3rd, uh, claiming that he had this method to scan ballots to tell if they were fake, that you, he would look just right at the folds. And, you know, Jovan would get very aggressive with me when I asked, has this ever been used before? Is there any scientific grounding for this? But nevertheless, he became a hero on the right, and, and he sort of became a fellow traveler with the likes of Michael Flynn and Lynn Wood. But Jovan now has supposedly fallen sick as, as we record this, uh, but he's not the only one. So as I describe the symptoms of how this supposed anthrax attack happened, perhaps think of if there's another illness about in the land that is maybe famously spread in closed spaces right now. <laughs> okay, so so Joe Oltman, so, so the first word, I actually have not heard back from Jovan on his alleged anthrax sickness, but Joe Oltman, who is a kind of a, a, a simpatico kind of right-wing character with him, his claim to fame is that he infiltrated Antifa ahead of the election and heard them plotting to steal the election with Dominion voting systems on a conference call. Uh, no, he doesn't have a recording of it. Why do you ask? Uh, so he, he and you know, he's he's one of these guys who's being sued by a, a Dominion voting employee. So he posts on Telegram that Jovan is sick and he we uh, Jovan is in a bad place right now. Might be anthrax. Now people like people may remember the famous anthrax attacks post nine eleven. It's a pretty big deal. It's kind of odd for people to just randomly be coming down with anthrax. And so Joe Ullman says, "Well, I don't know if it's anthrax. I know Jovan is sick. I've been sick." 
uh, but I don't have lesions like Jovan does, which is like really kind of like, you know, kind of putting out his buddy's business out there, I think. Um, so, but it, it, so, but the anthrax thing has, has spread. And so now all of these people who are together around the same time as a COVID outbreak say that they have anthrax poisoning. So there was this uh, the, the latest sort of this QAnon friendly group called the Reawaken America Tour had a conference in Dallas. So all these people who are now feeling sick, uh, a little under the weather, uh, Ron Watkins, you know, alleged QAnon mastermind, uh, posts, everyone please send prayers for Joel Altman and Jovan and a few others who I won't name. They are they are very sick with what is suspected to be anthrax poisoning. And then they say, I think if you look at this video, you can see a mist coming down over the conference. <laughs> so what? Like, Wait, what? Like what? <laughs> I mean, and this is weirdly enough, not the first time that what have seemed to be COVID symptoms uh, have been attributed to some, you know, sort of deep state state attack. You know, uh, in the fall, we had sort of a spate of QAnon people and other conspiracy theorists who hated the vaccine, uh, suddenly dying of COVID. And people were saying, well, you know, is the deep state murdering them with plutonium or what have you? And so now another another Telegram personality, uh, Tori Amaras, who is an associate of Cindy pa- Sydney Powell's, says, I was poisoned two months ago. I'm still suffering the repercussions. So really, every, like th- there's a, th- I can only assume that there's an anthrax madman on the loose at these events or that there's a pandemic. This is only audio, so you and our listeners can't see what I'm, I've been doing for the past five minutes. The reason I've been mostly silent is my jaw has kind of been touching the table right now as we've been recording. I've been just staring at this and listening to you. We cover a lot of nutty shit on this show, but they're, they're trying to do the anthrax panic again. That is just them scraping the bottom of the barrel. Do they have, like, that is some early Bush era shit that they're just trying to bring out and kind of uh, like slap a new coat of paint on it. Well, it's a real swing for the fences moment, right? Because, you know, they should be a little vaguer about it because the idea that like a conference room full of people was dosed with anthrax and like no one cares about it, you know, that the government's not going to do anything about it. I mean, it, it, it sort of gives the lie there. Right. Again, the most darkly comic thing about this is that they are talking about this when there is something else floating around. Like, why would anyone try to, like, dose your entire conference room with an anthrax mist? They, there's a good chance all they have to do is sneeze on you. (laughs) Well, you know, and and the other thing I think this highlights is that that we haven't really had a chance to get into on the podcast before this year, is the amount that this crew kind of call them the, the Linwood expanded universe, if you will, how often they are dodging assassination attempts? Oh, they they love nothing more than dodging fake assassination attempts. For me, if I go out and my car won't start, you know, perhaps it's because my battery died in the cold. But for this crew, it's like there was a car bomb, you know, and, and, and I barely avoided it. So, for example, you know, in addition to this anthrax thing, when this whole feud started with Lynn Wood and Michael, Michael Flynn, uh, they started saying, well, you know, I was going to get on a plane. And but then it like wouldn't start and I got transferred planes. So I have to assume there was a bomb on the plane and it might be like Michael Flynn's crew trying to do a little interstate plane bombing on us. So, you know, these guys, you might think that they're just sit on Telegram all day and and go to conferences and where, you know, potentially COVID is afoot and, uh, you know, and post all day. But I mean, this is like this is like Jason Bourne type stuff. Just to be clear, 
These guys, at the very least, especially Jovan Pulitzer, are people who did manage to get things into the conservative and Republican bloodstream all the way up to Donald Trump and his top staff in terms of this is how we overturn the 2020 presidential election. That's is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, thank you, because that, that's sort of like the, the other side of this is this is this is not just a bunch of kooks we found on the Internet. I mean, it is that. But also it's I mean, these are guys who who have the who have ties to people like Steve Bannon um, in the case of one of these guys who's talking about anthrax uh, and Jovan. I mean, you know, there's this famous PowerPoint that was supposedly laying out how to do the coup that was in Mark Meadows's email. And a lot of Jovan's ideas, uh, it's not clear who made the PowerPoint, but but a lot of his ideas are sort of the the undergirding of, of that PowerPoint. So, I mean, these guys who are like, oh, you know, there's an anthrax attack. They're out to get me. You know, there's satellites hacking us from Italy, all this kind of stuff. These are also the the people, at least, you know, when you have a Republican president in who are, uh, you know, whispering in, in the ears of the most powerful people in the world. God, imagine if like the Trump coup was somehow pulled off in late 2020 and early 2021. This would be the ideological and intellectual currents undergirding it. <laughs> All the universities would be teaching uh, treasure hunting. Right. At least Augusto Pinochet and his cronies had Milton Friedman. <laughs> These guys are like, like, OK, if Donald Trump got to be God Emperor of the United States uh, in perpetuity, things that would be serving as the intellectual basis of that would be like the uh, Jovan Pulitzer, alleged failed treasure hunter. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Let's see if we can put uh, Jovan, Jovan, Hoven. I I don't know. Will, you teach me how to pronounce his name later on. We'll see if we can put him in our rearview mirror, although I have a sneaking suspicion we're probably going to hear more from him in 2022. But moving on to our next entry into the Fever Dreams 2021 yearbook is a guy named Alan Perot. Am I pronouncing his last name correctly, or is it Parrot? I've actually wondered this a few times, and I've never asked you this before. Right. So this is a controversial falconer. I think for our purposes, his name is Alan Parrot. Perot sounds cooler. But, but I so. think I think for the for the purposes of the pun, this segment is called "Waiting for Perot." Hell yeah. Okay, so he's a MAGA falconer. Surely that is a metaphor, right? Well, so right, so so this, you know, in Fever Dreams. We often talk about the the right wing personalities who made it big in twenty twenty one. For me, I, you know, in this final segment, I'd like to talk about one of the the shoes that never dropped in twenty twenty one, and and I speak here, of course, about the controversial MAGA falconer Alan Parrott, who promised at the end of twenty twenty to reveal all this evidence that Osama bin Laden was still alive and Joe Biden killed all these Navy SEALs. Um, you know, and, and I'm throwing a lot at the listener here. So let's set this up. So in the aftermath of Donald Trump's election defeat, there was kind of this scramble for like any any proof that, you know, could, could slime Biden and, and, you know, prove that the election was illegitimate. And so much so that Donald Trump tweeted this kind of claim that Joe Biden had executed Navy SEALs. And I thought, well, I don't think that's true. And so, you know, you look into it and it turns out in the final days of 2020, this guy named Alan Parrott, who is a, a white American guy who converted to be a Sikh. So he has this big, long beard and, and he wears these like luscious robes and has a turban and he uh, and he always has a falcon with him. So he's a falconer. But even within the, the falconry community, he's controversial. So he comes out and he teams up with this woman named Anna Kate, James O'Keefe operative former uh, survivor contestant. And he says, well, I have all this proof that bin Laden's still alive. 
and that Biden kill all these Navy SEALs in this plane crash to cover it up. Uh, and I heard about this because in Falconry, I hang out with all these like really well-connected Gulf shakes. And they were talking about you know these various schemes. And I have these recordings and all this stuff is going to come out in 2021. But Swin, it never happened. Did Mr. Perot ever get called out on this by anybody who meant anything to him? Has he been pressured to release this evidence or are we just all moving on? Well, so like a lot of chips were put in on this guy. I mean, again, Trump tweeted about him, you know, Anna Cade and kind of some lesser conservative. I can't believe it's so fucking funny that Trump tweeted about this guy. I mean, I know it's Donald Trump. He tweeted about a lot of people who are beneath the dignity of even a Donald Trump tweet. But the fact that this guy got some mileage out of the right now deceased at real Donald Trump presidential Twitter account is mind boggling. I mean, it was truly crazy. And, you, you know, I, I should correct myself here. I, I, I guess that this came like shortly before the election. So it was it was an election smear. But but the information was supposed to come out in 2021. So I dig a little digging into Alan Parrott's background here. And it turns out, so he was at one point an informant for the, I believe, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in the heated world of falcon smuggling, which, you know, falcons are so highly prized. They are often referred to as feathered cocaine. So the he was but a very controversial figure. Some people felt he was informing on rival falconers, you know, in the, the gear falcon trade. He resurfaces a few years later in the 90s in Mongolia, another hotspot for illicit falconry, whereby he was like just sort of like living in a paranoid world of his own and driving the the Mongolian government crazy with his accusations about falcon smuggling. He was eventually banned from Mongolia for his very uh, intense and like alleged double crossing in the falcon trade. Like are there people lobbying the Mongolian central government trying to get them to... I don't know, be have fair play when it comes to falconers? <laughs> well, he was just really annoying everyone. Like there was there was the, incredibly there was like this really lengthy magazine article about him in the 90s. How do you get banned from Mongolia? <laughs> where he was like just behaving in this really uh you know, he he was making allegations that, you know, the government was involved in falcon smuggling, which, you know, may, may very well be true, but he was doing like a lot of uh, uh, uh you, you know, a lot of uh, cloak and dagger type subterfuge that uh, that eventually like, you know, he claimed he was trying to save the Falcons, but uh, his critics in the Mongolian government saw otherwise. 2024 vice presidential nominee Alan Parrott. <laughs> yes, exactly. So so he resurfaces a couple of times claiming he has info on terrorism through his work as a falconer for Gulf Shakes. Uh, And then finally, again, in 2020 was kind of his big splash. But he claimed to have all these documents that were going to come out. And then throughout, you know, it's 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 almost a year later or excuse me, it's it's more than a year since he first appeared. And all throughout 2021, we never got the incendiary proof Alan Parrott promised us. We're recording this on December 21st. There is still time. Right. No, you're right. The year is not over. I messaged him repeatedly and I said, dear Mr. Parrott, you know, I have a lot of respect for the falconry trade, but where is what you promised us? And so, you know, one of the kind of the subplots that never really reached the point where we could write about it, but throughout 2021 was people saying, where's Alan Parrott? I thought Alan Parrott was going to solve everything. He was going to get Biden out of here. So we have Anna Kate who kind of staked her career on Alan Parrott throughout the year. She says at one point in May, she says, update on Alan Parrott. I was told timing, hang tight. Stay in prayer. Well, then a couple months later, she says, you know, Alan Parrott has been sort of waylaid by shadowy forces that have prevented the release of these documents. As recently as yesterday, some random guy with a MAGA hat on Twitter is tweeting, what happened to Alan Parrott? 
So this is a guy, you know, people really put their hopes into into him and his his robes and his his falconry, and it really never came to pass. Two things. First of all, Anna Kate, has she tweeted about Alan Parrott since May 12th? She tweeted about him in, in October, and she sort of tried to kind of tie things off. She said, you know, it's my understanding that Alan Parrott documents will not be coming out, at least not anytime soon, and but sort of shadowy forces have prevented its release. Like she said, she said Alan Parrott himself was not a huckster, but but for whatever oh. reason, the, the truth will not come out. Oh, oh, I, I see. Okay, I- interesting needle to thread there. Okay, n- number two. Did you ever see that movie that came out a few years ago? I think Larry Charles, who we had on the podcast, great writer-director, I think he wrote and directed this movie starring Nicolas Cage that was based on the true story of this guy who goes overseas with a katana or some mm-hmm. sort of sword that looked like that to try to kill, try, try to find and kill Osama bin Laden. Did you ever see that movie? I haven't seen it, but, but, but I know the story you're referring to. Okay, that guy is the spiritual predecessor, if not cousin or twin of this Alan Parrott guy, especially the stuff, even just the stuff you were describing to us about his uh, travails and uh, subsequent banning from Mongolia. I, I feel like you could make a hell of a Larry Charles type movie out of this guy. I know it would risk giving him attention that he probably so richly craves. What character in the past year or so of us doing this podcast have you come across who has such a prolific international footprint as much as this guy? <laughs> I think that's a, a great comparison. I mean, I think this idea of this kind of oddball American freelancing some some anti-terror work over in Afghanistan or over in the Middle East, you know, I think there's definitely parallels there. Well, as I said earlier, we are wrapping up recording of this uh, early afternoon Eastern time on December 21st. This may be the last time I uh, speak to you before we break for Christmas and then after that, New Year's. Do you have any plans of note going into the end of this year that we should know about. Yeah, I have big plans to uh, be cruising Telegram and, uh, you know, watching, uh, check, checking 8Kun and and checking all my favorite boards during in the new year. I suspect 2022, at, at least in terms of right-wing politics, you know, we've got an election coming up. Dare I say it will be even crazier than 2021. You know, I mean, I guess January 6th happened, so hopefully we won't have that again, but it should be a pretty hectic year. And, and you know, plenty of Fever Dreams material. As for uh, my own familial holiday plans for the end of this year. I'm planning to keep trying to raise my uh, two-month-old son right and subject him to as many cable TV reruns of what I think is indisputably the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Goodfellas. I'm starting him off at a young age. I'm starting him off right. He's going to be able to recite every voiceover monologue from the Martin Scorsese classic by the time he's uh, seven, no, six years old. I think that's a great New Year's resolution. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.